0: Good morning, everybody. Happy Easter. Going to go old school. He is risen. He is risen indeed. indeed. Traditional churchy response. We did it. (laughs) I'm so glad that you chose to celebrate and contemplate the resurrection of Jesus with us. As a church, we believe that Jesus is alive, that he's still redeeming the world around us, We believe he's still reaching out to people who are far from God. We believe that he's using us to meet the needs of the under-resourced and the underdogs. That's what we're about. And we're all a part of that. So we sang about the glory of God, and the Gospel of John says that when the glory of God appeared in the person of Jesus, it turned out to be a clinic in grace. The glory of God is all about grace, and this morning we're going to talk about grace appearing to us through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And as we begin walking through that, I'd like to have you uh, think through something. Um, Recent book called Living Forward by a guy named Michael Hyatt, who's a New York Times uh, bestseller. Um, it's a book about life planning and uh, he has this exercise at the beginning of his book and when he meets with people he has them go through this as well it, it seems morbid but uh, he has them sit and take a chunk of time like a good chunk of time to really focus on this and he tells them to write out their own funeral eulogy Like take time and, and write out what would you want read at your funeral now that's kind of creepy, but his purpose is to get us thinking about where we're headed, about what we want to be known for, because that's what a eulogy is, and if you could craft yours, I think it would be, here's what I want to be known for, and and there's there's all kinds, it's very significant, because there's all kinds of ways that you could answer that, all kinds of variables in life, all kinds of choices, so what we want to be known for, says a lot about us. So what do you want to be known for? Some of us, it's a Supermom, the queen of the Pinterest classroom party. I'm married to one of those. Maybe your super dad, handing out the best genetics that 10U travel athletics has ever seen. Maybe it's The one who spends the most time in the gym or the best CrossFit stats. Most time at the office, gets to the office the earliest, stays the latest. Best couponer, most extreme couponer, the thinnest, best dressed, best looking, best cook, the wealthiest, the funniest, best grades, best ACT score. Accepted to the best college. Own the biggest and most relevant wardrobe. Have the most friends, most shares, most likes on social media. Now, we may not want to name all those things in our eulogy, but sometimes that's sort of what we're living for. What we want to be known for. Now let's talk about God. Because I think it's really important to think about what God would want to be known for, because God alone can be, uh, God alone gets to choose what he's known for entirely. Like, we may do some image management around some things to be known for certain things, but we have limitations. Like, I will, you know, never be known as the tallest guy in the room. I don't have any control over that. Mark will never be known as the best-looking man anywhere. He, he, has, he has no control over that. So you were there, and I know you. Sorry, man. Um, but God gets to pick. And so the things that he wants to be known for, that, that, that's significant. And I think when it comes to looking for Scripture for who God wants to be known for, uh, it reveals some good news for us. The Gospel of John begins by turning our attention uh, back to the book of Genesis, back to the creation of the world. And as April uh, narrated for us, a uh, pretty generous God, pretty grace-filled God, a God who creates things for us to discover, a God who creates a place where, where we can enjoy creation, Think about the sunrise and the beauty of of today a day in march when it's warm and nice god created that created adventure for us to discover a way that we could find inspiration and john tells us that same creator took on flesh and he walked among us because he wanted to be known by more than just like through his creation, he wanted to be known by those he created personally. And so he became man. But we may be shocked by what he wanted to be known most for. If we look at John 1.14, the word Jesus became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, of all the things God could be known for, he chooses grace and truth. Now, truth is kind of obvious because what God thinks is true and what God says is true. It's true because he's God and he wants it to be true. So it's natural that he would be full of truth. But I think it's shocking that the God of all creation would also want to be known as a God of grace. Grace means undeserved favor. It's an unearned gift. And of all the things that God could pick from, he says, I want to be known as the God who gives undeserved gifts. That's my brand. God says. The giver of undeserved gifts. And God wants you to know him as a gracious God. In fact, all of scripture revolves around the plot of grace. That you would know God as the God of grace. Now there's a pattern all through scripture, really. But here are a few examples of God saying... I want to be known as a God of grace. So in in the first part of Genesis, chapter 1, God is creating the world. And he defines days differently than we do. Because Genesis says there was evening and there was morning the first day. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And on and on he goes, for God, the day begins at night. And we endure the darkness of the night and then every single 24-hour period after that night, God blesses us with sunshine. We can't create it. We're helpless in darkness. But God gives us sunlight after a period of darkness every day. Every day is a pattern of God's grace. Now after many of those days where... Light overcomes darkness. The Israelites, the people of God, find themselves in slavery in Egypt. They had wandered from God. They had turned away from God and toward other gods to worship. And so God gives them over to the nation of Egypt, who also worships other gods. And Egypt enslaves the Israelites, and there's nothing they can do about it. 400 years of hard labor, and there's nothing they can do about it. And then God raises up Moses and frees them from slavery. And they go into the promised land fully able to appreciate their freedom because they had gone through the darkness of slavery. They got there by their own fault. But instead of just leaving them, God gives them grace and undeserved favor and calls them into freedom. Now after that, God wants to eventually help us appreciate the grace of freedom through Jesus. Of living by the heart as opposed to religion. But to do that, he gives the Israelites in the Old Testament 600 plus rules. 600 plus rules. I'm good for like three. Like tell me the three things I can't do or should do. 600 plus Every day was an oppression of rules. And all he was doing was handing down, okay, this is the perfection of God. This is how you should have to live to please me. Here you go. And then after hundreds of years of that, God gives them grace. And he says, how about instead of trying to live to perfection, you live in grace according to the heart with one principle, love. So we have... Night overcoming day, we have freedom overcoming slavery, we have love overcoming religion. All acts of grace built throughout the Bible. Now as we'll see later, this was all done to show us need. God wants to be known as a God of grace. To be known as a gracious God, we must first though understand our deficit in life apart from him. Before Jesus, we were oppressed by our inability to be perfect. We were without hope in a dark world. And maybe you're at a place this morning of great need. It's really hard to make sense of this world. There are spiritual needs, there are emotional needs, there are physical needs, there are relational needs. There's danger and struggle and terror all around us. And sometimes we limp through life, desperate for some kind of help from someone above. And if that's where you're at this morning, you can know for certain that you've already taken the first step toward connecting with God. God's grace appears in our lives only after we realize that we have deep need for Him. The first step in experiencing grace the undeserved gift of the resurrection is to turn to God and say, I need you. I need to know you as the God of grace. So God did what he did to be known for his grace. God became a man and he walked this earth ...so that we could see his character for ourselves. When Jesus was here, the fact that God was a God of grace was on display. He poured himself out daily on behalf of all sorts of people who really didn't deserve it. Colossians, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 2... ...accurately and best describes the generous and gracious mindset of Jesus... Paul says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance of a man, he humbled himself and becoming obedient to death, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. What the world deserved was an angry God to at best walk away. Like leave us in our own mess that we created. Now the ancients thought much more about community than the individual It wasn't so much about who you were individually it was about who you were as a people and while there may be some really great people out there individually when you look at humanity and our report card as a a whole it's not all that great like we've messed this place up compared to what God had in mind We haven't operated with high marks as a species. But undeservedly, Jesus stepped away from paradise and joined our world, stepped away from heaven to come here. And this is before, you know, air conditioning and indoor plumbing, football. High definition. It's before high thread count sheets. Have you ever slept on high thread count sheets? Like I used to, it was always like four, or 500. I didn't know. Didn't know about high thread count sheets. And then one year for Christmas, our sister-in-law got us these high thread count, like Egyptian something or other, cotton, whatever. Like 1,500. And it was amazing. Like I'm, now I'm like a, Sheet thread count diva. <clears throat> I've been tempted to travel with my own sheets because it's like four hundred thread counts at a Hilton. Are you kidding me? But they didn't have those when like Jesus stepped away from heaven. They have some pretty high thread count sheets in heaven, I hear. Jesus set that aside and and came here. When we didn't deserve it at all. That's grace. By, like, by definition, that's grace. And if you read the Gospels, you watch Jesus move about, giving himself away as he goes. Doing whatever he can to help those who were far from God. I think about John chapter 3. A religious leader named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a part of the ruling body that was a big part of the problem in jesus day the religious leaders oppressed people with burdensome rules they were apathetic toward the heart of god and they plotted the execution of jesus they were the bad guys and nicodemus was a part of that group but jesus stops and talks with him he offers him hope John summarizes the whole encounter uh, by saying uh, the, the famous passage for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And then he goes on to say, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Talk about God being for us. Talk about undeserved favor. A mission of generosity. And I know a few greater passages in all the Bible that reveal God and His grace, that make God known for His grace than those two verses there in John 3. God doesn't want to condemn the world. He wants to save it. God sent His only Son, to do whatever it would take to save you and your family. Never been to church before? God wants to save you. Maybe you have have a long list of you know, selfish and manipulative things that you've done to people as you try to live for yourself, completely void of God. God doesn't want to condemn you. He didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you. Jesus saw sin and he forgave. He saw the stricken and he healed. He saw stress and he offered his peace. He saw need and he went without a home and personal expenses so that he could give the money that was given to his ministry away to the poor. Jesus was God in the flesh, and he shows us beyond a doubt that God is generous. God made himself known as a God of grace. Now, as followers of Jesus, we should be generous. As a church, we want to be generous. And so we're going to take up our offering now. We do this every week, and we're an independent church, so everything we do to run Polaris is by our collective generosity. But here's our rule, for those of you who haven't been around. uh, Maybe it's your first Sunday, whatever. Uh, Here is our rule for offering. You are not obligated. Nobody's obligated to give. You should feel absolutely no obligation, no guilt for passing the plate, because here's the deal. I know that God wants you to be generous. I have no doubt he wants you to be really generous, and real life begins Like the good stuff in life begins when we begin to give ourselves away and our things away to those in need. But there are many causes that are close to the heart of God and there's no reason to believe that like Polaris is the only one to give to. So you need to connect with Jesus and talk with God about where he wants and I know many of you already have. And then you be generous where he wants you to be generous and if that's Polaris this is your time. If we're one of your causes... But we don't want to take things from other causes. So if it's somewhere else, give somewhere else. Just be faithful to what God has called you. Um, and regardless, help us by passing the baskets down the road. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your generosity on display through Jesus. I, 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 it's still, God, of all the things that you could be known for, the one that you focused in on more than any other was grace the mighty and powerful creator God of the universe, God Almighty who says, I want you to know me as the one who gives undeserved gifts. That's humbling and we're thankful. Please take these gifts and bless them and use them. Keep us close to your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we work our way toward the resurrection, I want to take a moment to talk about the crucifixion. I want to talk about the cross because it's the greatest act of generosity. It's the greatest undeserved gift ever given to you, ever given to me. And I want everybody to understand it. So some of you uh, may uh, know the message of the cross very well. Build your life around it and let this be a moment of reflection for you. Others of you may not be as familiar with what the Bible says about the cross and the gift of the cross and I want you to leave here at least knowing this is what the Bible says about the grace of God so I'm going to read from um, uh, Colossians 1 I think it's one of the best passages in the Bible that says exactly what happened on the cross 2,000 years ago it says the son Jesus is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church, in the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his Fullness dwell in Jesus. And through him to reconcile. This is, right here's the money, okay? Reconcile means make right with God. And through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God... You were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. You didn't deserve anything. I didn't deserve anything. But, now, act of grace. He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through his death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. One sentence summary in 2 Corinthians 5. God made him who had no sin, to be sin for us. This is the word of God. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now here's what all that means. You have sin, I have sin. Plenty of it. 2,000 years ago, Jesus became sin on the cross. He was nailed to the cross, and all of our sin was placed on him. And he paid the death penalty for it. So by faith in that act of grace, we become perfect without blemish, free from accusation. It's no longer about having to try to be good enough to get to heaven. A lot of people, a lot of Christians talk about, I hope I'm good enough to get to heaven, or I know I'm going to be good enough, or I don't think I'm good enough. It is not about that. All sin, all payment was made on the cross. Total act of grace. So it's like this, the death row inmate to be executed the next day as the punishment for his sin. And he has his last meal, and he sleeps a little bit, but is emotionally wrecked because of the damage he's caused in the world, because of his wasted life. The governor shows up the next morning and says, you're free to go. You're free to go start life anew. My son here is going to pay your death penalty for you. He's going to be killed in your place. Now as a father of two boys, that's unthinkable. But that's the gift that God gave us on the cross. Paid our death penalty for us so that our sin would be forgiven and we can live free by grace. It's unthinkable. But that's the message from the Bible. That's the cross. And Jesus wanted to be known as the God of grace, and so he sat with his disciples one last time before that gift of grace was given on the cross, and he took bread and he gave it to them, he passed it out, and he said, hey, when you get together, take bread and eat it, remembering my body. that will be broken on the cross for you, in your place. And take this cup and drink it, And remember my blood that was shed on the cross that should have been yours, but it's a gift of grace. The blood is the promise of God's forgiveness. And he told them, when you get together, do this ritual, take bread and drink juice or wine and remember my body and my blood, the act of grace on your behalf for your sins. And sometimes that's called the Lord's Supper, sometimes it's called Communion, sometimes it's called the Eucharist, depending on a faith tradition. And we're going to do that now, and and so here's how this works. Um, What the Bible says is that if you are a follower of Jesus, if you accepted God's gift of grace, then this is open to you. You take a piece of bread and you eat it when the tray's passed, and you remember the body of Jesus. Jesus. And then you take a cup, and you you have a choice. You can either drink it right away and put it back in the tray, or you can hold on to it and pass the tray and drink it when you're ready and then put it in the little cylinder there on the back of your pew. And that's us, that's the ritual that Jesus started to remember the gracious gift of God on the cross. Now, you don't have to do this if you're not comfortable with it. Um, Just help us by passing the tray down the row, please. Father, thank you for... There's no good way to say it, but, but thank you for this incredible gift of grace. So unworthy. We were the death row inmates, and you gave your son to pay our price. Help us to fully receive that grace and live as those who have been gifted the most amazing thing ever. We remember that now, and we sit at your table because of and through Jesus. Amen. Luke 24, 1 through 6. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. We went with him instead of me doing that. Um, So I want to just kind of close my part out talking about uh, the the so what of it all. Because the, the truth is, I mean, there's a lot of videos out there like that. There's plaques and cards and Dramatic music and smoke and lights and mirrors and all kinds of stuff to get us, like, excited about the resurrection. It's Easter and there's high energy. But, so what? Like, really, so what? Why does it really matter that Jesus rose from the grave 2,000 years ago? Why does that matter for you today? Because we still have, I mean, it's it's Easter and we'll do some things maybe to do, you know, some celebrations this morning. Egg hunts and family and honey-baked ham, right? Um, but we have bills to pay and, and marriages to try to uh, figure out um, we have maybe aging parents to take care of and stresses at work and uh, jobs um, that are questionable maybe status of, of work questionable uh, goals to reach we have children and teenagers to try to figure out We have school to uh, finish up and grades to worry about and tests to take. And so what? That Jesus rose from the grave 2,000 years ago. And what I want to do is just kind of close out by telling you a couple things that for me personally, this is just, you know, Alex Poindexter talking, um, this is why it matters to me that Jesus rose 2,000 years ago. Now, first up, The the first one has to do with the book of John. And we've been walking through as a church the book of John. And there are seven miracles that he built his gospel around. Seven things that Jesus did that he said, there, that's it. That's what it means to have God walking among us. And the first was Jesus turning 180 gallons of water into 180 gallons of wine. Pallets of wine to save a party. When Jesus is alive... He cares about the small details of your life. He cares about your parties. When Jesus is alive, he cares about your get-togethers. The next miracle uh, was Jesus healing a crooked politician's son. Now, you can picture whether it's Donald Trump, whether it's uh, Bernie Sanders, whether it's um, Hillary Clinton, who's your bad guy or bad girl? Put, that's who it was. It was, it was them, And that miracle told us that God even loves them. God is even for them. When Jesus is alive, God cares about those who are far from him. The next miracle was a Sabbath healing, and it was Jesus basically wrecking the religious way of doing things. He saved the guy from religion itself. Some of you have some religious pasts. Some of you have been wrecked by religion and rules and rituals. And when Jesus is alive, he saves us and calls us into relationship. Apart from those rules and oppressive religions. Next miracle was him feeding the 5,000. He said, I'm the bread of life. And he passed out bread to everyone. in a huge crowd miraculously saying... I can sustain you. When Jesus is alive, he sustains us in our weaknesses, in our spiritual hunger. Next, he walked on water and invited Peter to come out of the boat and walk on water as well. When Jesus is alive, he calls us out of the normal and into the unthinkable when he's alive. Next miracle was Jesus healing a man of spiritual blindness, taking him from darkness and giving him vision to see the world. When Jesus is alive, he takes us from spiritual darkness and helps us to make sense of the world around us. He guides us by his light throughout the day when he's alive. Last miracle in the Gospel of John was Jesus raising Lazarus, who has been dead for four days, decaying literally in the tomb. When Jesus is alive, he can bring anything back to life when he's alive. The resurrection matters because it means that he's not done doing those things. And I see examples of them in my life and I see examples of each of those things in so many of your stories. The resurrection means that Jesus is still on the loose in the world doing things like he did in the gospel of John and i see it time and again the second thing <clears throat> that makes all the difference in the world for me because of the resurrection is the pattern the pattern of going from darkness and then there's sunlight the sun overcomes the darkness and the pattern that was continued By the slavery, which led to freedom. So there was darkness, and then there's light. There was slavery, and then there's freedom. There were rules. And then there was Jesus and grace. There was death. And then there was resurrection. God's pattern that he demonstrated through the resurrection is that first... You walk through darkness. First, you walk through the tomb. And then, you're rewarded with God's grace and new life. Now, this is a very dark world, and there are many of you with all kinds of stories. I know many of your stories. This is a world of sickness and sadness and loss and grief. There are a lot of good things, but there's a lot of darkness in this world that we walk through. But let's remember, I need to remember God's pattern. That we walk through darkness and then when the time is right, grace invades. The Bible says that just like Jesus, we walk through death. And one day, we experience resurrection just like Jesus. Where we'll be done with this season and into the light For all eternity. That's why the resurrection matters. Grace appears. And grace is searching for every corner of your life. At the resurrection, grace broke free from the tomb. And death couldn't hold the grace of God. So will his grace find you? Thank you.